Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. For the first time since 2014, Olympique de Marseille have defeated their neo-rivals from Lyon as André Villas-Boas' side rises to second in the league. Our panelist was there and he'll tell us all about OM's revenge on Rudy Garcia and the 45 minutes which saw Dimitri Payet become the best player in the world since 2016, Dimitri Payet. We also report on the shocking sighting of five goals in one weekend in Nantes, the slow progress of Nice and Bordeaux, Di Maria and Icardi scoring again, and lots more from Ligue 1, then turning to the international break, and maybe, just maybe, a French debut for Matteo Ganduzzi. I'm Pierre-Paul Birmingham. I have uh, Clinton McDouglas here. Hi, Clinton. Hi. Did you attend any exciting... Very, very glad to have you too. Did you attend any exciting football over the weekend, by any chance? Oh no, oh, no. I was I was indoors throughout. I was uh, just watching games. Oh, and just chilling. <laughs> are, are there? Is attending the Nigerian league? Uh, is, is it good fun? Ah, uh, it's. <laughs> I don't. Think, I've not actually attended any game. Oh, okay. Uh, in, any Nigerian professional league game, although I go for amateur league games. Uh, oh, wow. I, I, the local teams, I, I go to see their games and all of that. But for the main main league, the um, highest tier, I've not actually seen any game. So the, the atmosphere is always so charged and it's just better to stay away. <laughs> Very good in such situations. So, yeah. I've heard that from other people as well, actually. Anyways, uh, with us as well, Mohamed Ali. Hello. Did you attend any exciting football over the weekend? <laughs> Just a small matter of an Olympico. <laughs> <laughs> so you spent the weekend over in Marseille. You must have had a great time. Yes, it was good. It was uh, good to see the anniversary celebrations, but also the typical charged uh, nature of the game. So, yeah, definitely a very, very hot Sunday, for well, sure. I mean, just... Even the excitement through TV, it looked like you guys were having a World Cup final or something down there. It was uh, impressive. Uh, we'll start with that match, of course, the uh, the match between Marseille and Lyon, uh, which saw Marseille overturn their, their trouble-beating uh, big sides. Uh, once again this season, just a week ago, they beat Lille, and here they beat Lyon for the first time in five years. Mo, is this... Uh, is this maybe a moment, uh, you know, a turning point in the recent history in Marseille, in OM, where they could finally, having beaten this uh, this this unlucky run, reach for higher summits? Um, possibly. Um, I'm very conscious of the fact that I don't want to sort of put the cat amongst the pigeons and just say that OM is now favourites for. For the Champions League and the, you know all you know all the good stuff that comes with being a proper rival, but the, the, the signs do look good. Um, uh, uh, possibly the second longest curse, uh, or the possibly yeah, the second longest curse has been lifted. Uh, the other one that's still outstanding is obviously the PSG uh, result, the failure to beat PSG for 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 eight years. Well, there's um, also the one of failing to win in Bordeaux. In Bordeaux, but really, <laughs> I think I think at one point that will come when it comes. It's hardly going. It's hardly impacting the season. Yeah. Um, at the moment, but um, 
But just to say, yeah, was, on 42 years, that's a whole nother scale. That's it's a whole a, something else. And yeah. possibly we'll see how it goes in the, in, in the spring. Um, but for more pressing matters, obviously, mm-hmm. failure to beat Lyon for five and a half years in, in, in the league is, is something uh, of an anomaly. And I think concerning the fact that um, in the early part of that run, the games were mainly draws, draws both at home and away, and fairly innocuous fixtures. Uh, but over the last two years, especially under Rudy Garcia's reign, OM has lost each of their <laughs> games against Leon and Sunny in very spectacular fashion, as was the case earlier this year. So winning uh, the way they did um, on the night uh, that the club celebrated its record attendance, its, its 120th anniversary, um, and obviously the, the return of Rudy Garcia, it just made the victory all the more sweeter. And and you know, people have obviously the right to criticize my criticize Marseille. They they have the right to um, uh, you know say essentially you know give their opinion. But when people say that OM have not beaten big sides now, mm. um, but I've I've said for the last two years, you know, there have been obviously some really poor results, especially against PSG and Lyon. But there have been some fine results against the likes of. Etienne against Lille against Monaco now uh, two years in a row and even uh, even in the, the home games against PSG and against uh, Lyon um, you know the 3-2 game that Marseille lost to Lyon were, were, were close games the 2-2 draw the Velodrome when when the teams play the Velodrome there's another Marseille that's playing and now OM have beaten uh, Lyon Lille Saint Etienne Monaco and Nice uh, mm-hmm. So five of their Absolutely. six wins have come against big teams, the other being Strasbourg, um, have come against teams who are European chasers, podium chasers, you know, relative big teams. And that is a massive, massive boost for Andre Villas-Boas. It says a lot about, you know, how he's, he's coming across, how his taxes are coming across, how he's, you know, putting his side out uh, against teams that, you know that I've just mentioned he possibly have better squads than he does um and his game management as well so a very very nice result last night I think okay so talk us a little bit through through the day Mo uh seeing as you were there before the match obviously as you mentioned there was a, a great tifo but even earlier in the afternoon it yeah. was uh it was quite festive with some um, uh, with some, some unfortunate uh, events, but yeah, with some unfortunate events. I mean, what it started is that the fans had, um, from five o'clock, had uh, organized a procession from the beach, uh, the Plage de Prado in, in Marseille, and uh, make the roughly 1.5 kilometer walk together uh, to, to the velodrome. Um, and obviously, it's a time where people chant. You have to remember, Marseille is. By all regards, still the most popular club in France. Uh, so people do come in from all over the country to to uh, make you know make the journey, etc. So it's a place for everyone to sort of gather and festively walk towards the stadium. Uh, and as the Lyon team uh, arrived, there were a couple of unsavoury incidents, which obviously the club had no power to to stop. But uh, a couple of windows were broken, the bus was attacked. And uh, Jean-Michel Olas was not a happy bunny, um, <laughs> threatening to pull his fixture, uh, pull his team from his fixture, even though um, he was definitely warned a couple of days ago to uh, listen to police advice and travel in an unmarked bus. But he decided to, um, you know, listen, cave into his ego 
and goad Marseille into some sort of, uh, uh, you know, some sort of ambush um, before the game. Um, so there was that. Uh, and inside the stadium, it was very, very, you know, festive. It was so atmospheric. Um, the, the TIFO, which the task was to surpass the one of 2015 in the first uh, classic in the new stadium against Paris Saint-Germain. Mm. Um, and I think last night probably did do it some justice. It looked really, really good. I've seen some pictures of it since. It it really doesn't do justice to, you know, the people that were there in the stadium because I felt that it was so much better it being live and actually feeling sort of the, the, the smell of the flares going off and that, the atmosphere, the heavy music. A lot of people have mocked, you know, Marseille for upgrading its stadium to include the, the world-class lighting and sound systems, but really... It really, really does uh, yeah. for the match day experience. Even on and TV, really you can you can hear it so well. It exactly, it's so loud. Um, and obviously, going to games. I mean, I was at West Ham Manchester United a couple of weeks ago uh, mm. in London, and it's just it's just there's no comparison. There's absolutely no comparison uh, to the atmosphere for for you know when the velodrome is really hot, as it was yesterday, and the record attendance was broken, which pleased a lot of people because obviously the last one was set uh, on the night that OM lost 5-1 to Paris Saint-Germain uh, so it's good to have that sort of expunged uh, from the record um, and you know, there was so much colour there was so much you know support um, at one point the game was stopped because of um, some flares which I think uh, was practically not on the menu I feel like the organisers wanted to obviously make a show throughout the game uh, with some vibrancy with some colour probably let it get away uh, from them a bit too much because <laughs> they, they they hadn't put, thought that one out. I thought it was you know, completely unintended for for the smoke to envelop the stadium as it did. And you couldn't see anything and from Leon's goal, obviously, even though it was well taken. I thought that, that had a bit of an unfair advantage because the visibility <laughs> was so bad. Um, and I expected the referee to at least halt the game for, for more than at least 10 minutes um, before it cleared up completely towards the end. But yeah, it was it was a, a great performance um, from OM. Uh, you don't need to obviously um, go on about Dimitri Payet, who was world class when he's at his best. Mm-hmm. And, you know the words well, that but, he said about. Yes, go but, on. Before we kind of get to him and what he achieved in that first half, maybe Clinton. Let's have a look at the starting lineups, um, and in particular from from. On the flip side, from Lyon's perspective, there was a couple of surprises there um, on the wings. Obviously, Memphis Depay was absent, but Jeff Renadlade also started as 10. What, what did you think of that? Well, um, having Jeff was uh, actually a good move. Um, as for Kone and Bertrand um, Traoré, <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know about those guys, but uh, I think Jeff was ab- absolutely unstoppable in that first half. It was just silky, the way he got past players. I think he completed every dribble, seven seven out of seven or something. It was just floating, but it, it was like mm. um, the other guys weren't on his wavelengths. Cornell was just, you know, all over the place. And Bertrand, well, he, he didn't really affect anything in the final third in the first half. Uh it was just. It was more like you get the ball and then come back and try to, you know, play back. But um, I actually thought that um, Awa would play a more advanced role. That was what I was expecting. But uh, I was surprised that he was a bit more withdrawn 
with mm. um, Kone and um, Traore with Jeff in front of him. Uh, that that one surprised me. Did. Yeah, and, and Jeff was sort of inexplicably taken off at half-time, even though he was playing quite well. I thought Bertrand Traore was the worst in the first half. Um, second half yeah. he was a little bit better. D- delivered the Lyon assist, of course. Stop a bit. I, I was I was, I was surprised. I was surprised to see Jeff go off at halftime, yeah. and um, he wasn't injured or anything. It was apparently a tactical tactical change. I don't I don't understand <laughs> what <laughs> what uh, Garcia was thinking, but I mean it's Garcia, so that should well, surprise anyone. Did the pressure get to him, Mo? Because by halftime he was two 0 down. At the, you know, falling at the hands of, of his former captain, Dimitri Payet, who was uh, very happy to get that a little bit of revenge there. Yeah, I mean, I was saying earlier on today uh, to someone else, um, it's a good thing that Dimitri Payet knows to put, you know, to put his money where his mouth is. Mm. Um, because <laughs> he, it was a very bizarre outburst on Friday. Um, he... He basically he's denigrated uh, Rudy Garcia. Uh, not only spoke about the breakdown in relationship, but really opened the door in just how bad things were in Marseille uh, towards the end of last year. Where if Dimitri Payet was feeling like this, then it's absolutely clear that a lot of the key players uh, were uh, also feeling the same way. Um, and it might have also, for me, it might have also affected Luis Gustavo and Lucas Ocampos seeking moves elsewhere as well, mm. um, which they eventually did. Um, but he also cheekily invited the Leon Leon players and the Leon institution to consider what Rudy Garcia had said about uh, you know his new staff uh, five months ago in the last time where OM had hosted uh, Leo which I found very interesting and then he really picked his moment he really you know was completely utterly world, world class yesterday I think um, you know, it's very rare that we see a Pia at this level. I think the last time I saw Pia at this level was the, the Europa League uh, semi-final to the run to the final, um, where he was completely superb. Um, and I've noticed that some people were sort of hinting that he's got his eye on, uh, you know, a late dash to the European Championship, the same way that he made the set late dash to the 2016 and possibly 2018, had he not got the injury in the Europa mm-hmm. League final uh, for the World Cup, where he you know, picking his moments. Um, but it wasn't even just his attacking prowess and his passing ability. It was his defensive um, sort of support that he gave, which that's the side of Pia that I've not seen. Pia's got, you know, the, the image of a tortured genius where he just stays up front, ropes around for most of the game, and then, you know, it's deadly when, when he feels like it. But not somebody that you see running back and slide tackling everywhere, which is exactly what he did um, for OM's second goal. Uh, he won the most balls um, in, in the first half of any player, uh, which was wow. very, very surprising statistic. Um, he, he, the stadium was already on its feet and yelling its, its um, appreciation for that slide tackle that he made just ahead of the second goal. Um, and then for him to you know, run back into position set Maxime Lopez off, received the ball again from Lopez and then fire past Lopez, uh, uh, well, Anthony Lopez. Um, the, uh, you know, the Velodrome really was completely bewildered. Mm. Um, I personally had not, not cheered a goal like that for, for quite <laughs> some time. 
So he was he was superb, and it just goes to show, you know, how badly Garcia managed the situation. I think, I mean, I like to think that maybe Olas or some other Leon players will think, hmm, you know, if Dimitri Payet, who's a very good player in his own right, has said that about Garcia, have we made the wrong choice? Is this a coach that we can clearly, you know, trust? Will this coach get the best out of me? I wonder if Memphis Depay had has picked up on those words and think, is this coach is this coach going to get me to where I need to be? If uh, great players of the opposite team have said this about him, yeah, and it was fascinating as well on the on the defensive side of things. Um, there was a about two minutes before the second goal, there was a very similar play to the goal where Dimitri Payet also played a kind of outside of the foot pass. Uh, the first time that was to Dario Benedetto, and it didn't happen as a goal, but. It came from Dimitri uh, getting the ball again. And if you look at that action, he was essentially playing as a left back on the same line as the defense um, while the ball was on the other side of the pitch. So he was already in position and everything, ready to surge to make that interception. It was uh, fascinating to see him, you know, put such a such efforts into it. And also, we should mention for the penalty, which came from uh, Thiago Mendes' handball in the box, I was mm. thinking about that penalty... Uh, you know, when he was about when he when they were setting up to shoot the first time, I was thinking this is taking too long. This is taking too yeah. long. Oh my and God. then and then Dubois <laughs> falls over and all that stuff goes crazy. And Absolutely over, ridiculous. Yeah, it took um, six minutes was, in total. What yeah. was the tension like? I mean, I I I was practically beside myself um, <laughs> for for that long. And I really commend Payet for for I don't know if you, if you saw it on TV, but he basically walked off yeah uh, towards yeah. the touchline and so really that. removed himself. Uh, from the situation three times as well, and mm. I, you know, obviously the internet was really shocking in the Belgium saying that you know it was, it was down <laughs> for quite a lot the first half, but you know when when the I thought he was checking the VAR uh, when Payet put the penalty uh, uh, the, uh, the ball on the spot um, that somehow like you know the whole world had saw Thiago Mendes handball and I was thinking to myself, is he really checking for VAR for that? Um, but obviously it was for the Benedetto uh, slap, I'm using quotes, um, yeah. which really there was nothing doing there. And um, it was just, you know, Leon, um, beating Chances Leon and trying players. to get in, um, you know, trying to get an advantage where they can. Um, it didn't work. The penalty was emphatic and it set Owem on its, uh, on its way. And I think it was really important for Owem to score. Not too early, um, but I thought the first goal came about sort of during the match where you you want to sort of settle and you want to settle well and create a rhythm and then get something out of it, which was perfect. If they scored within the first five minutes, they'd be looking at sort of holding off and it would elicit immediate response from Leon. But around halfway point of the first half was a perfect time to sort of take the lead. Um, and I just thought the first half, aside from the Montpellier game, where mm. somehow you know there was no three points from that, but the team played really well, that was probably the the best half that I've seen OM play in ages. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and then in the second half, Clinton. So as we mentioned, uh, Jeff Renadelaide comes off at at halftime, uh, replaced by Jean Lucas, who is who is not French, <laughs> despite the name. Uh, just minutes later, Awar gets injured, so it looks like things are, are getting worse for Lyon. But uh, they do find a goal through through Dembele, and there was a hint of improvement, but 
do you think they were tired from Champions League or were they just not good enough? I think they were just not good enough. And um, it was probably down to um, Rudy Garcia's tactics. Um, <laughs> even when um, they were dominating possession, it, it always looked like Marseille were in control. Like even after the red card to Alvaro, it still felt mm. like Marseille were in control of you know the game and everything that was happening in the game. But um, to be fair, um, Ryan Shaki, the 16-year-old, mm. absolutely had a, a really good um, cameo. He, he was really good. I think he was the one person that made you know Marseille a bit nervous in the second half. He was the one guy that was like the real threat, especially since um, Jeff was off. Mm. Uh, but overall, I thought that their tactics, their tactics just weren't good enough because the other thing that Marseille were doing, they were basically trapping them. It happened a lot in the first half, especially. They were basically trapping them. They would let them, you know, have one or two passes. And then all of a sudden, two, three players just bring some press and win the ball. And then they have a go at, you know, the Leon defense. And then they are all over the place. And then, of course, it would probably be Anderson or Denier getting rid of the ball intercepting it. I, I feel like if if Marseille had made better decisions in the final third, um, especially in those situations, the first half could have been 4-0, 5-0, to be very mm. honest. Because there were there were some passes that just didn't get to their destination. Um, there, I think there were about two that should have gotten to Payet and they didn't get there. There was one that was supposed to be for um, Maxim Lopez, but Benedetto touched it and then it went away. And, you know, yeah. those situations could easily have led to goals. And Leon were just all over the place in those those parts. And it just seemed like um, Rudy Garcia just read the game wrong. Because if it was going to take off anybody, it definitely should have been Jeff, who was their best player in the first half. And looked like the one guy that, you know, could worry um, Marseille and break through their lines. But instead, he took him off and he, he first brought on... Um, Jean-Luca, and mm-hmm. from there, it just it just seemed like he, he was just, you know, randomly just trying things and just trying to see what, what was going to, you know, work or something. Even their goal, even the goal that they scored through uh, Moussa Dembele, it was because of the um, fog that was created by Marseille fans. In fact, I, I remember, like, when that was well, going on, when, when I saw the fog, I, I was just saying to myself that Marseille are going to pay for this. Like they are going to pay for this this situation because nobody can see anything and somehow a goal is going to come. And like two, three minutes later, a goal came and I said, Oh, come on, look at this. According according to the you know, the pitch side commentator for for TV, he was saying the visibility at ground level was still good at that point. Oh, okay. I, I mean, you know. I couldn't see anything. I, but, I, but you were in the press tribune, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I was. I was a couple of levels up, but yeah, I, you know, like looking at Canal Plus's sort of cameras that were on ground level from the different angles you look up to, the visibility still wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you saw like five minutes afterwards, around the time Alvaro had sent off, and like towards uh, the smoke had completely. No, it, it got worse after for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit. I mean. It is what it is. I think the referee made the judgment. They didn't want to, you know, delay the match mm-hmm. for, for yeah. any longer than they needed to. But um, I felt that it did have an effect. But then, it, of course, it was, like like Clinton said, you know, from OM's own fault. And I feel that they didn't really plan scientifically of how sort of destructive <laughs> that would have been. Because it all started very lovely. Yeah. You know, with the plumes of blue and white smoke on both stands. But then it was very windy and rainy in Marseille last night. 
um, and that might have an effect on sort of the circulation of the frog. Well, maybe I'm talking absolute rubbish. No, no, no. It, it definitely does. <laughs> it definitely, it definitely made had an effect. So it just enveloped the whole place uh, very, very quickly. And I had a poor mm. reporter sitting below me, forlornly wafting the smoke away as if that would have helped. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a good sight to see. I think it was a bit of fun, at least. Yeah. In a way, I think it killed um, Marcel's momentum a bit. Because up until that point, they they actually looked very comfortable, and just not no long after, it looked like um, Leon were going to you know take over. Before, of course, I think AVB reacted very well. Though. Yeah, and actually, I feel like that's something that happens a lot in football generally, but especially in Marseille, it happens quite a lot, where the passion of the fans sometimes reaches a level that's a yeah. bit too much and and cuts the team's momentum, and you know. It, if only you could control it a little bit and and keep play going on and you know not kind of distract your team, uh, it would probably yeah, be exactly. for the better. Um, just picking up on you know Clinton, you were talking about how they set up how Marseille set up a you know a system to to put pressure on Lyon. Um, it, yeah. it 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 definitely looked more effective than what they had attempted in in Paris with a kind of high line. Yeah, that was exactly. Just high uh, yeah. for the sake of being high. What exactly. what I noticed yesterday was Steve Mondanda, every single time he had the ball, would play it as far as possible, and then they would just pounce on yeah. the second balls. And the whole match was exactly. basically played in Lyon's half, putting putting yep. pressure on Lyon. Um and, and it was very effective uh last it night. Was, it was so fascinating to see. Yeah. Mm. It was it was fascinating to see that because um unlike in Paris, they there was more, I don't know, it felt like there was more purpose to it. And even they didn't actually look vulnerable at the back while doing that. Because in Paris, they looked very vulnerable at the back, yeah. even though, you know, that could have, could they could easily have scored from one of those in Paris. But it looked vulnerable at the back. And that was what, um, you know, PSG looked like they could exploit anytime they, they had a chance. But for, for this particular game, they didn't look vulnerable at all, even when they were doing all of that. And when they were through, I mean, at, there was this time they I saw about three Marseille players chasing one player, <laughs> and <laughs> he was just so confused about what to do with the ball. And I was looking at you know the rest of the field to see if you know there was there was some vulnerability if he was able to get the ball out of that situation. And really, it just looked like the team was just properly set up, the shape was right, and everything. And even if he had gotten out, they would have found a way to just get rid of rid of the ball. Or the danger. So that that was that was very 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 good to see. Yeah, and I think it, it probably. I mean, it does speak to the difference in quality between um, Kylian Mbappe and and uh, Bertrand Traoré. <laughs> but but we will give <laughs> we will give Marseille some credit yeah. there. Um, yeah, definitely. Nonetheless, Mo, at the 89th minute, I think um, Martin Terrier had a a very good chance, and you just had to think if Memphis Depay was I there. Mean, that was in. Uh, if <laughs> it, I mean, it was heart stopping. I can only describe it like that. It was, you know, the the pressure had started to grow when OM, uh, because of Alvaro's red card. Um, in hindsight, because of recent games and the mentality of how OM were now sort of slipping away. They've given up one goal. You've got the fog hanging over, and then you've got ten men that Leon would sort of find a way back to this game. It might end as a draw, it might end 3-2, we don't know, but 
that was the tendency. Um, in hindsight, it wasn't anything like that because, like Clinton said, Leon sort of didn't do that much from from Alvarez red card to about to the Terrier shot. Mondanda did not touch the ball apart from a free kick that went a bit a bit a bit a bit, a bit wide, which he basically walked to go and get. Um, so I guess it was comfortable for him. Um, but then Terrier's Terrier's effort was a bolt out of the blue. It was very well taken. And the whole stadium, and I'm really not underestimating, you know, underestimating this or underplaying it, really sort of let in a collective gasp when they had gone in. And I knew, uh, <laughs> watched the highlights since. Um, and you can hear just sort of chattering just after that's gone. People saying to each other, oh, bloody hell, like, oh, that was close. Um, you know, it really sort of all threatened to silence the stadium, as has happened before for Cavani's goal, which I, Owen, were in the same situation, winning 2-1, although this time they yeah. were the ones that had a man advantage, and then sort of def- being deflated within two seconds, um, right at the death. And I thought that would have gone the same way. And the same thing happened in the last uh, seconds of the game when the long ball came up and Mondonda claimed the ball. Um, and just everyone just let a massive sigh of relief, and I saw Dimitri Payet in the <laughs> on the ground. Um, uh, but it yeah, was yeah. it was very very strong. I just also want to get in before we move into another topic. Um, a big big uh, appreciation for Andre Villas Boas um, mm. because you know we've had people on this pod, but also um, you know the fairly known faces uh, within the. French football community who have, uh, you know, been harsh, I think. have criticised him, but I think have been harsh with their judgments on uh, Villas-Boas, given that he has got a Marseille team who, you know, are on its bare legs. They've only got 17, 18 first-team players, uh, no money and, and all sort of stuff. And, and Marseille know that the worst thing that you can sort of have is a Marseille team who are who don't really know their station, who are always you know, aiming or being very confident of the top three, but somehow never getting it, as has been the case for the last six years. You have presidents and, and directors and managers who've all been guilty in the last couple of years to G up their fans and then get exposed uh, after the game. And against Leon and PSG, this has been very, very apparent. And then this year, you've got Andre Villas-Boas, who, who's sort of done the complete opposite, who's gone in humbly, um, where even though his players probably haven't, but he's gone in humbly. He said, you know what, it's just one game. And he was absolutely denigrated in lots of sections of the press uh, for his approach to the PSG game. But, mm. And by saying, we're going to focus on our direct rivals, we're going to focus on the ones that we have to win. And look look how well that's turned out. Um, OM with the same number of players, with still suspensions. Sakai did not play uh, this week. I can't remember who was out last week, but uh, I think... Well, someone was out. Um, you've got still Tovan away. You have Alvaro that's still not at his 100% uh, fitness level. And OM have beaten last season's top two, top three finishers, um, 2-1, back to back, and are second in the table. And now, touch wood, they've got a very, very favourable calendar and the chance to build a really good series, at least at home. At home, Marseille is a very difficult side to beat. Um, and that I think the only toughest test that they have away from him is Angers, uh, who have a superb record um, 
in the, at their stadium. Mm. You know, this time next month, we could be heading into the end of the year, a Christmas period, with OM second. Um, that's a very, very real possibility. And like I mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast, five out of the six victories that OM have had have come against big sides, sides who have finished in the top three over the last, uh, of course, <laughs> over the last couple of seasons, you know. And it's not just at the Velodrome. It's also Monaco and Issa they've beaten away from home as well. So considering the, the depth that Marseille have had and the, the dearth of amazing quality and players that haven't actually been at their best, it is absolutely fantastic that they are in the position that they are at. And it's, it's, a, it's a big, uh, you know, appreciation of the work that Villas Palace has done. So long may it continue. And we'll be taking those games, as we said last week, one at a time to see if they yeah, they can <laughs> keep it up. Before we wrap up on, on this one, Clinton, I have a question on which uh, Mo refused to pronounce himself earlier uh, in the show. We have a question from Dan on Twitter asking, will OM finish on the podium? What do you think? <laughs> well, uh, it's still really early to say. In fact, I'd say at the start of the season, I was saying that um, if they get sixth, it should be over over the moon because of the way you know the summer went and the way the team really looks now. And then with Ovin's injury as well coming, and the Empire being suspended for a while and all of that. But um, in one of the um, one of the Jefferson shows that we've had, I was asked if um, I was asked who would finish higher. I can't remember who asked that. Who would finish higher between Leon and um, I mm-hmm. think it was it was you. And I yeah, said Marseille. Yeah, and I said Marseille. And I still I'm oh, you did. to stick to that. Oh wow. Yeah. And in fact, oh yes, last, you did. You were the um, during the preview show. <laughs> exactly. And during the preview show, I, I actually predicted that uh, Marseille was going to win this game 2 1. <laughs> and everyone was surprised. <laughs> and that came to pass. So I, I'm beginning to feel like a prophet now. So I'm just going to say it. Marseille are going to finish um third. Yeah, you, you've had a good one, a few good ones. Uh, uh, I'll give you that. I, I, I yeah. think Mo and I, we both said that Lyon would finish first. Um, yeah. That, I mean, we were asked that question a couple of times, actually. Uh, first, I mean, ahead of, of Marseille, not, I not first. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, anyways, let's move on. Who will? No, I said, I think they will finish third, so. Oh, okay. And. Or at least in Champions League places. So, yeah. All right, we'll see. Um, let's move on to another match from Sunday, which uh, was, uh, you know, not as big a, a rivalry as, as Lyon-Marseille is nowadays, but a match between two historic teams and a very exciting match on the day. Nantes-Saint-Étienne uh, played in Nantes. Uh, Saint-Étienne came back from uh, behind to win it 3-2. Uh, Clinton... You know, first of all, there was a surprise of seeing so many goals at a Nantes match, especially in Nantes. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's it's a it's you know a good sign for Saint Etienne to see them keep performing like this and rising up the table. Yeah, I think um, f- firstly it's um, a show of they've, they've shown real character to be able to you know dig out a result like this, especially in a venue like that where first um, goals aren't really scored. You know, you you go to Nantes mm. and you, you have to <laughs> you have to sweat to even get a goal, and it almost never happens. And then they were able to get three there, especially being you know behind twice. So I think um, 
Were they behind twice or they behind, they were behind two nil? Okay, they were behind twice. Yeah, they were behind twice. Yeah, they were behind twice. Yeah, and they were able to come back and then win it. So um, it shows that you know, and they were without some players as well. Um, there was no, no Saliba. Fana, there was no Saliba, mm-hmm. and they were able to you know dig that out. So I think that's that's a good sign for them. And even more importantly, um, they are fourth now, which is which mm. was probably unthinkable some weeks ago. And now they're already fourth after just 13 games. So I think that um, it's a really good sign for them. And they are supposed to build on this. But will they? That's another question. But um, it helps that they have you know, a very experienced manager in Claude Puel. Uh, he has come in and he has just been able to get them you know, to, to, to um, get results. Because I think right now the priority should be getting as many points as possible draws, wins, whatever, just get points on board and they've been able to do that. And, you know, they're just one point off second and it's a good sign. It's a good sign. And and Mo, do you want to tell us a little bit about the the best Gabonese player at Saint-Etienne since Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in in Denis Bonga? He's been really, really good. Um, First of all, like he's, I don't know, I think some players just really do hit a purple patch. I just get the feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, he scored now was it five or six goals this season, including for for his national team. But uh, you know, three in the last two um, games. But you know, in Nantes, he was just really, really good. Very, very clinical. Um, I really liked his finish. Um, sort of, well, maybe took a nick off the defender, but lifting the ball slightly over mm-hmm. over the font. Um, he's just you know hit a purple patch, like I've just said. He's He's clinical on the ball. He's he's linking up well with his teammates. He's using the movement and the space well. He's getting in behind the defence. Um, and this is a Buanga that perhaps didn't look um, as strong um, over the last uh, couple of games, especially before Puel came. Um, and uh, last season in, in Nîmes, he was perhaps one of the standout uh, players. So it's good to see him recapture that bit of form. And he's really now sort of morphed into one of the key lieutenants for Puel um, in terms of, uh, you know, sanity and not, historically not a goal-laden side, um, perhaps relying too much on on uh, Berichu, who's slightly inconsistent, Hamuma, who's probably at the decline a little bit, and uh, uh, Kazri has, has not really had the, the rub of the queen lately. So... It's really good to see somebody who's, who's stepped up and really taken the mantle. Um, I think it's five in the league for him now, which is uh, somewhat yeah. uh, strong now, especially in, in the elites. I think he got mm. more than a dozen for, for Tor a couple of years ago. So he's, you know, somehow found the shooting, but even though he's not so much an out-and-out uh, forward or, or an advanced player, he probably was in league the... So yeah, it's it's, it's a very strong uh, showing from him. Um, we'll see if he's able to, you know, be consistent. It remains to be seen. Also impressive that you know Claude Puel has played him in a few positions uh, now, including a few times at kind of left wing back, and and he's performed pretty well at any position really. Um, on Sunday at left wing back was a different player who was playing quite well in in Miguel Trauco from uh, from Peru, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. who, who scored his first goal in Ligue 1 and assisted uh, uh, Bonga for the better. first one. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, strong performance from him as well. 
Um, Saint-Étienne, uh, yeah, up in fourth, as you mentioned. Uh, meanwhile, the other news coming out of Nantes is that they are the latest club not to have signed Hatem Ben Arfa, uh, <laughs> which doesn't really leave <laughs> a lot of options for him because we've had this story over and over again <laughs> in, in the past few months and uh, he still doesn't have a club, uh, unfortunately for him. Four losses in a row for FC Nantes is the final thing uh, I'll mention uh, from this one. Let's move on uh, back to Friday now, where uh, Nice hosted Bordeaux. Now, last week we said, you know, this could be quite a telling match uh, for each of these teams who, uh, you know, have been up and down, especially down for Nice. And uh, but, but what did you guys make of this one? There, you could see some progress from both teams, even though it wasn't the most exciting match, was my opinion. Um, but... Unas, Adam Unas and, and Youssef Atal especially were, were quite good, Clinton. Yeah, um, yeah any thoughts? Yeah. Um, um, I really enjoyed Unas' performance. Um, there was this point where he tried a pass to Kaspar Doberg, and it was just an absolutely insane pass. It was because everyone thought it was going to play, you know, the other way, and he just slipped it back mm. the way it came. And, you know, it was... I, I really wish Kaspar had scored that, where I've been probably assist of the season or something. But overall, I um, thought so it was Unas and Atal that were carrying um, Nice through that game, especially Atal. Atal is a problem. He's just a menace, an absolute menace. Mm. I, I checked the stats and, well, Benito was dribbled five times <laughs> in one game. <laughs> and then um, Mexa also got dribbled five times and I'm sure like three were Atal because Atal went over to the other side where he was and he was also wrecking out of there so um but i think in the end Nice still have some fundamental problems and I'm, I'm still not very convinced about how they they attack like they're attacking play their interplay and everything i'm still not very convinced if we're, if we're going to compare that with um say marseille yesterday mm. uh was, if, if you had seen obviously you saw it um the way marseille did their interplay sometimes. It was just absolutely delightful. The touches and the way they moved out of, you know, difficult, you know, tight spaces in, in the attacking third and just moved the ball, you know, forward into the danger areas. That kind of thing. You don't see with Nice at all. Like, they, it just looks like they just, they're just reliant on Atal doing something, some magic, some, you know, dribbling somebody and getting past somebody then sending a cross or something. And I think um, that's where most of their their problems are you know i'm not seeing those i'm, I'm not seeing enough in attack from them to suggest that team that you know, would do do so well or you know in, in during the season i feel like there's still something missing and if they have to rely on the guy playing at right back something <laughs> most times to you know, do something for them. Then you know, obviously there's a problem. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not feeling Danilo in midfield. He was at my club actually some years ago, so I know <laughs> all about him, Danilo Barbosa. Uh, I'm not feeling him yet. Um, of course, there's Cyprian who is like really good and all that, but I'm still not seeing it. You know, I'm not seeing it from Nice. I'm not seeing. Some people say it's their their formation, their tactic is um, pass to Atal and pray, <laughs> and that's just. 
I mean, I, 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 it's it's. I think it describes it perfectly. It's not. It's just not enough. And I don't think this is sustainable because obviously, if you lock up Atal, then you know they lack initiative in attack, and they, they really need to do better. Hey, if only there was a playmaker or or somebody like Hatem Benarfa available. <laughs> if only. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, the goal came from Atal, who who assisted. Uh, we put in a cross from yeah. for Pierre Lasmelou, who scored his first of the season. And actually, in the second half, Atal moved to left wing because um, Ganago was was taken off, and that kind yeah. of separated him from from his compatriot Unas. And it, you know, Nice was hurt from that change. Actually, uh, they yeah. they had less attacking potential, I guess. Um, for Bordeaux. Um, Mo, I mean, as usual, it's not a hugely inspiring performance from Bordeaux, but they did play much better than, uh, what was it? It was against Lille that they were, oh yeah, they were terrible against Lille, but this yeah, was again much yeah. better. And, you know, they are third. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's a surprise. Um, well, I mean, I, I personally, I mean, they played 3-5-2. I thought perhaps that was a bit dangerous considering... Uh, you know, Nice's proficiency on the wing, which you know, like you mentioned, that's where the goal came from. At time was was very good. Onas uh, also had a decent decent run of things, um, and Bordeaux's um, wingers aren't exactly known um, sort of to be devastating. Um, and you know, yeah. Nice did Nice did have some good opportunities in exploiting those. So I was a bit surprised whether they didn't sort of change to a more Defensively stable formation, perhaps a four-four-two or four-five-one or whatever. Um, essentially, yeah, like you said, there wasn't really a lot going on. Um, mm. You know, the, you know, it's hard, it's hard to really analyze Bordeaux's performances because I thought Tsunami, uh, the midfielder, looked uh, decent in terms of like advancing the ball really, really well. And um, the goal came from a penalty, which uh, old man Brion. Uh, converted slowly, getting back to you know his target of 100 league and goals. <laughs> I think we're at 96 uh, now. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's hard to really analyze this game for both. Yeah. But obviously, they want to be picking up points wherever they can, especially after their last uh, away performance, which was completely out of their depth. They've they've done reasonably well to sort of keep Nice at bay, who are still. You know, progressing like you said, but a bit confused within themselves and hardly out of uh, you know, you know, doing the best that they can. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it draws a fair point, a fair result. Yes, yeah, I, I, I think. I, to, sorry, go for it. Okay, sorry, I just I just want to point something out. Um, nice are like they are fourth for um, ball possession, but they are fifteenth for big chances created in the league. That mm. just shows you. That, okay. Yes, they like to have the ball, but what are they really doing with it? They're not really creating, you know, enough with it. So I think so. That's very damning for them. Yeah. Also, Bordeaux are, are not third. Uh, that was my mistake. They they were third after that match, but that was obviously back on Friday evening. So they're actually yeah. uh, seventh at the moment. Uh, but you know, as yeah. as we mentioned last week, it's all quite tight in there. Um, all right. Then let's move on to Saturday afternoon. And uh, PSG playing away in a slightly remote city once again. Was that going to yield the same scenario as Dijon? Thankfully not for Paris. Uh, and they obtained a 2-1 win in Brest. Um, it was Clinton. It was a return for Edison Cavani. 
Um, yeah. And it was actually a lot of changes from six changes from the team in uh, that played against Bruges in the Champions League. Uh, but uh, you know, the usual suspects pulled them out of uh, of the trap that time, huh? Yeah, I've, I felt really sad for Cavani. You know, I'm 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 very I'm a huge Cavani fan. It's probably my it's one of my favorite strikers like ever. But um, it was just sad to see that you know as he was taking off, Cardi just came on and within two three minutes he had already scored the goal he had been looking for. It just it just you know it's just a sad sad end, like because obviously Cavani is probably leaving at the end of the season, so it's just a sad way to go out. You know just you know watching as someone else just takes your spot and you mm. know, puts you in the background like that but i mean he had his, he had his chances to you know impose himself on the game and he didn't really take them so um but overall i thought i actually thought that Brest were going to you know go on and win that game when it got to 1-1 because i don't know there was just something they, they just seemed to be up for it you know but in the end um, psg just have those difference makers. That's something I always say about PSG. They they have too many difference makers. And I think that's why they are just so much better than everybody. It's not just the fact that, well, you know, they are yeah. obviously a top team, but they have so many difference makers. You have you have Cavani, you have Neymar, you have Mbappe, you have Di Maria, now you have Icardi, you have Sarabia, you know, Guys that, you know, when the game is really tight and you don't know which way it's going to swing, can just step up and have one moment of magic and just completely, you know, decide the result. So it's really hard to defend against that. Yeah, but it was good to see Chupomotin get the assist for the goal. I mean, it's always good to see him do something. Well, I don't think it counts as an assist, unfortunately. Yeah. But <laughs> yes. I, I did appreciate the cross as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doesn't uh, count, yeah. Uh, any thoughts, Mo? Uh, we did see an assist from Julian Draxler, who has not had the best of times uh, at PSG recently. Uh, so he was kind of back on the score sheet as as an assister this time. Um, but yeah, any, any other thoughts? Um, well, early in that, I don't think PSG were at their best. Uh, clearly not. And I feel like it's a running trend this season where the most difficult league games have come against sides in the bottom mm. uh, half. Obviously, they've you know failed to beat Dijon. They were poor against Strasbourg and and disjointed against Metz against Brest. They were you know the goal came from perhaps a, a very fortuitous uh, scenario where there was a defensive error from from Brest, who were really really up for it. Um, and then you have you know. The, the lost terrains as well, the although terrain, they're exactly the not quite above Dijon as well. Where I, I just feel like PSG, perhaps in the Ibrahimovic area, where they go to these sort of small towns and, and places where everyone in the town is out for the game, um, they really have trouble in, in, in sort of just professionally just getting a job done and moving on. But it's sort of these games where PSG, for some reason, um, are, are finding some sort of difficulty. Is it the fact Motivation. that it's, it's, it's a very top-heavy side um, at the moment, and perhaps attackers are perhaps a little bit more complacent than uh, than defenders, given the, the given you know who the opposition are. I don't know, um, but it's it was still disjointed uh, from BSG, who even you know the eight points clear, but they're not exactly 
um, sweeping all above them. But you know, on the on the flip side, they look superb against Nice. They were, you know, clinical against Marseille and and very professional in in Lyon. So it's I, you know, for me, it just goes to really add weight to the argument whether they're just picking their games. A fun thing from this match as well was that uh, one of the players for Brest was Ibrahim Diallo, the brother of PSG's Abdou Diallo. So they got to play against each other, which I, I can't think of when the last time that happened in Ligue 1 was. Um, but just a I little fun. I remember Ligue 1, but I remember in the Coupe de France uh, in 2010, Elu Diallo of Marseille and um, oh. his brother for, for Kevayi. Um, yes. Who Ooh. upstaged him for for that one night in the quarterfinals of the French Cup? Um, Absolutely. That well, that's was... good. That's a good little piece of trivia. Yeah. I ha- I had a trivia question for you guys actually, uh, which I didn't uh, bring up earlier. Mo, you mentioned that uh, it was a record uh, attendance in Marseille. Uh, but mm-hmm. do you know which match has the highest ever attendance in Ligue 1 history? Um. I've got a feeling that I know which one it would be. Um, but if you are going to say anything for from like Lonne or Lille, who have played the Stade de France, I really don't think that counts. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was the one. Well done. Exactly. <laughs> that's just that's just me. Although I know that they played, they obviously packed in. Uh, you know, Lille and Lonne have both played at the uh, the Stade de France. Uh, when the stadiums have been out more recently, like I think 2016 when Longs were in Liga and then uh, the stadium was being renovated for the Euros. But um... a, a little bit older than that, it was a Lille, Lille hosted Lyon in uh, th- March 2009, yeah. uh, which saw a 2-0 win for Lille. The goal scorers, Robert Vitek, who uh, would go <laughs> on to score twice for Slovakia against Italy, knocking Italy out of the World Cup in 2010. Yes. And uh, Michel Bastos, who joined uh, Lyon that oh, summer. Yeah, yeah so. great piece of trivia. But I'm, I'm a bit of a you know stickler for for, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for regulation of their own. Exactly, club making <laughs> their own. Um, uh, it reminds me of when Marseille threatened to play at um, at Montpellier uh, in 2014. Ooh. Obviously, that wasn't going to break any attendance records, but I don't think it would have counted for. <laughs> Uh, Why did they threaten that? Well, it's, I think there was an argument about the rent for the new velodrome. Um, oh, right, yeah. If you may remember when the when the, st- the stadium opened and the city had imposed like a higher or double mm. the amount of rent. So Marseille were like, well, if that's the case, we'll play in Montpellier. And they already agreed uh, with Montpellier <laughs> uh, just to play home matches there, which obviously the city was not going to have. Yeah, that's... Uh... Um, let's get back on track uh, and talk about Rennes Amiens quickly. That was uh, on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Mo Rennes got their second league win in a row uh, with a three-one win against Amiens, which uh, you know after the disappointment of losing in the Europa League uh, just a few days before that, losing again in the Europa League, uh, it's a positive sign, I guess, that they they can. You know, they're improving yeah. in the league, which is where they're going to have to focus. Yeah, I mean, you know, Europa League uh, sort of misery aside, um, I feel that my minor prediction of uh, 
you know, the last couple of weeks where I said that uh, they probably didn't deserve to lose 3-2 at, at Monaco and, you know, that the players would, you know, gel and perform for their manager, um, which obviously mm. became the case when they beat Toulouse by the same scoreline a couple of weeks later. But they've, they've you know, chained up the victories. Now they've recovered from, I thought, what was a poor start when Gerasi scored for Amiens. I thought the goalkeeping positioning for, for that was really, really poor. But... They looked, you know, comfortable in the end. Um, Rafinha in particular was 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 a particular threat. Um, there was a couple of hairy moments where there's still some sort of defensive lapses in that in their end team. Um, but overall, they could be very very happy with scoring three goals with with uh, you know picking up six points from six now in the last two games because you know they they've they've been fairly decent over the last month or so they picked up a point at the velodrome um and were unlucky perhaps to lose to to ram um who are defensively strong as we know um mm. so they're sort of where they were before this uh game perhaps didn't tell the full story um because of the league standards and everything being so tight so i think now it fairly reflects that this is a team that's still progressing that is that is studying the ship a little bit and once they get rid of sort of the europa league which is Obviously, a disappointment because of the fact that they worked so hard to get there, but mm. it was clearly having an effect on this game. So now they're eliminated, they can focus uh, fully on moving up the league table. And I think that, you know, they've got they've really good value to, you know, pick up a couple more points. They've got Dijon next uh, after the international break and San Etienne at home as well. So, you know, these are maybe, maybe, I mean, you know, four game, four points out of six, um, that is possible, uh, which represents, I think, a good return for, for Julian Stefan, who is persevering, and I thought that, you know, calls for his removal were very, very premature. Mm. Um, but yeah, things are settling down, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, good returns from the Rennes attackers with a goal from uh, Rafinha, his, his first for, for the club. Nyang scoring his fifth of the season and also Adrian Uno scoring his fifth of the season. I'm, I think I say this every time he scores, but I'm always surprised to see him score. I think, I think he's actually a midfielder playing as a striker and, and yeah. that must be why I'm surprised. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it just always sounds a little strange to me. <laughs> um, let's move on to the uh, following one. Clinton, Reims-Angers. Now, uh, I think... I was. I, I would guess this was the one you were going to watch out of the Saturday evening matches. Tell me if I'm wrong. I was going to watch it, but somehow I missed it. I did oh. predict correctly. I predicted last week that it was going to end nil nil. Well, everybody was like, "Oh no, it'll probably end one one." <laughs> <laughs> this game is ending. Is ending in zero zero. And you know, when I checked the result and I saw that it was zero zero, I was just laughing like. Oh. Okay, this 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 was very expected, but um, I, I I caught a bit of the and um, Angers looked a bit more threatening than they usually do away from home, so that was a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, overall, I think it was it was the kind of result that was expected. Um, the thing with Rhymes is that if they don't if they are not going to score against you, they are not going to let you score. So I mean, it's better to just come out with yes one point. So it wasn't really a surprise, but it's, I mean. Also, yeah. I think uh, predicting nil-nil with Hans is kind of a cheap play because, to be honest, 
<laughs> not all of their games are nil-nil and there's much more impressive results occasionally, but usually it's the safest bet because I can tell you, you know, when I was living there, uh, okay, in Ligue 2 it happened a lot under Michel Darzakarian, who uh, yeah. also brought his nil-nil philosophy to Montpellier uh, uh, shortly thereafter. <laughs> um, and even last last season there was a, a spell of maybe five matches in a row which were nil-nil for Reims. And ever since then I've I've always wanted to predict nil-nil, no matter who they're playing, <laughs> no matter where. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's no. their fifth one this season, I think. Jeez, fourth. Okay, they are fourth nil-nil draw this season. Hey, that's still only six goals conceded. They are yeah. bossing that. Right. Apart from that, uh, not much exciting. Oh, there was one thing I noticed actually in the highlights from that one was uh, Ismail Traore almost scored off a corner, which would have been the exact same goal that he scored against Reims last season. And I think the exact same goal that he scores against everyone because uh, he's a big <laughs> center back who gets a few goals and they are always yeah. from the same play. And I, I'm always shocked when people don't learn uh, from, from that kind of repetition. Um, yeah. But anyways... Um, another exciting one from, well, much more exciting than this one, actually, uh, from Saturday was Montpellier-Toulouse-Mo, uh, which was, uh, you know, kind of the other big game in the South uh, over the weekend. Obviously, two of the, mm-hmm. uh, two of the other major cities uh, in, in, that kind of, in that region. Um, and uh, a, a good yeah, three I mean, win for Montpellier. This confirmed. Yeah, go for it. Take it away. Sorry, it's my bugged out a little bit, so I thought you'd finish speaking. But... Um... Uh, Toulouse, I probably, I thought in that game, had looked more like the Toulouse of uh, sort of previous seasons where they were a bit listless. They were being <laughs> fairly, uh, fairly uh, you know, uninspiring. Uh, Montpellier were very, very good value for their lead. Um, and just compare, obviously, the last couple of games, which we spoke a lot about last week, how Kumbari had, you know, moulded Toulouse into a side that can definitely score, but perhaps a side that leaked uh, too many goals. Uh, they only sort of held up to one of those statements uh, on on uh, yeah, yesterday. Um, yeah. where they leaked so many goals, but didn't have a hope in uh, sort of putting one into the other net. And it was really good to see Savanier, um, who was very standout in 2017-18. Mm. Uh, obviously, last season had the long uh, layoff, uh, layoff. So for him to... Um, be back on the score sheet, uh, but also you have Laporte and Delorte, and two, you know, they combine very, very well. Oh, yes. Um, and it was a big win. It was a big win for Montpellier, who, I mean, it's, it surprised me to say they've only lost three times since the start of last season at home in Ligue 1. So, as form goes, that's obviously a very, very strong um, sort of set of results. And, you know, they, they are deservedly um, amongst the, the peloton in, in, in Liga. Mm. Um, and yeah, it makes it makes for a good couple of games after the international break um, where the Zacharians obviously doing a fine job. Um, you know, they've they've got some difficult games uh, soon to come, but I anticipate there's going to be at least one or two nil nils in that if knowing the Zacharians uh, <laughs> very, very well. So I'm not entirely concerned about uh, Yeah, be, well, that's the best the they can hope half. for yeah. away from home these days. Exactly. Uh, I mean, they've got some ETN, uh, PSG and Lille as well. So oh, all wow. within the next wow. five games. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm not too concerned that they would drop. Obviously, one bad result. Like, I mean, this, this 3-0 win saw them move up seven league positions. Um, <laughs> 
So if they can get a couple of nil-nils there, it might uh, you know, save them a little bit. Yeah, lots of positives um, for them, and hopefully they can build on that. As you mentioned, kind of Savagné, top assister from, from last season in Ligue 1, lest we forget, uh, yeah. joining in with the uh, the trio of Delors, Laborde and, uh, and Mollet. Delors, I think it's on the first goal, the one that Laborde scores. Delors yeah. does this amazing trick on Vainqueur, yeah. kind of backheel nutmeg to get around him. And, and, and play the pass to, to Laborde. Um, and also, I don't have a stat to back this up, but it's, it's just a kind of feeling that I have. I think that Andy Delors must be the player with the most disallowed goals because of VAR <laughs> in the league. Because it, it happened again on Saturday, and I just feel like I've seen that so many times where he has to... So yeah. <laughs> I feel so it was, I, it's it's terrible when you score a goal and then you know you just get told that yeah it's disallowed and it keeps happening to him so <laughs> he should probably go pre or something. <laughs> um, and positives with Montpellier's youngsters as well, Joris Chotard. Uh, I think he's 18, yeah. playing midfield, who was very good, and uh, yeah. and uh, Nicolas Coza at the back, 20 years old. Um, so I yeah. I always feel like this should be every match should be like this for Montpellier, even though it isn't for some reason. But um, yeah, they they, ha- they have strong potential. Um, and another exciting well, this is a rare Saturday evening where there was a lot of good multiplex matches. Uh, this one over in Strasbourg. Now before this weekend, Strasbourg were the worst attack in the league, uh, seven goals only in twelve, and they scored four past Nîmes. Uh, you know, it, Clinton, it was a particularly strong showing from uh, Le Beaumotiba and, and Ludovic Ajorque. Uh, yeah. What did you think of their performance? Oh, it was absolutely beautiful. I'm, I was very happy to see Ajorg to, you know, have a game like that. One goal, two assists, and the, the assists were just delightful. Mm. Uh, I thought it was, it was very, 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 very good on the day. And, you know, I always... Well, he's my favorite tall man, so <laughs> my favorite tall striker. I know I say this about like everybody, but he's actually my favorite tall striker. I really love his technique. I love how good he is with his feet, despite being that tall. And again, he showed. You know, I, I enjoyed Motiba's celebration, by the way. <laughs> and, you know, but I think the peak, the peak of the day was uh, Leonard's goal. The, the way he took that. It was just absolutely beautiful to see, but overall, I'm I'm, I'm really happy for Strasbourg. I think that um, they've turned the corner. I, I remember saying it recently that um, probably two wins. I, I was hoping that they would not be um, hasty in probably firing or something. I mean, just because I felt like two three wins on the bounce and they'll be out of trouble. So um, it was good to see them win and win very well. I think it's something that they can, even though, I mean, the international break is obviously going to break the momentum, but I'm sure that they'll be able to pick it back up, you know, when when they get back to club football. So it was really good to see the, the attack combining so well. Really good. Yeah, and, and Mo, uh, after the match, the manager Bernard Blacar said, I'm not more worried or less worried than I was in July or August, which, if I recall correctly, means he must be quite worried because they had some issues over the summer. And we mentioned at the start of the season that, you know, yeah. they they were in really tough position going into it. Exactly. They've 
I mean, what can you expect when they sort of let go their their sort of best players over the last uh, season? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they're expecting too much, and I think they really did well to to stay in league on last year. I thought they looked a bit out of sorts um, as Strasbourg, probably because of the cancellation of their the last game. So you know, it's, you know it's had to do with. Strasbourg perhaps being more match sharp, um, but there's no excuse to go down to perhaps the worst attacking side in the league uh, mm. the way they did. Um, and it was probably poor game management where they were back into the game. Kupila Botoen still had a man sent off soon afterwards, but Strasbourg were in rage almost. Um, you know, they've been very poor um, over the last couple of weeks, and it's you know it's it's getting on the nerves of everybody, as you saw with Thierry Laurie um, in his press conference recently, um, <laughs> perhaps at the end of his wits. Um, but this sort of well, that's brought, every week for Thierry Laurie in yeah, fairness. I mean, yeah, I mean... some in some fairness, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's been you know it's been a relatively good couple of weeks uh, for them. I think all their wins have come since the end of September. So. Uh, in the last six weeks, so um, it's been it's been good. But for Nîmes, their their next games are going to be really really tough. Um, and I think w- w- my prediction is that while the rest of the league is going to still be for the next couple of weeks um, very close and lots of movers and shakers about, I think they might be depending on how decent Dijon and Toulouse are in sort of grinding results because they have not looked. Awfully bad. Obviously, Toulouse have some issues to fix up in defence, but in attack, apart from Saturday, they they haven't looked too bad. Obviously, they play Marseille next in what's called the mini velodrome. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and Dijon will see big PSG um, last week, but there might be some space between uh, to, you know, Toulouse and Nîmes. I think Nîmes are in very big trouble in 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 Ligana. I think. This may be the season that they might be suffering what's popularly known as second season syndrome. Um, yeah. So I think it's they've got a lot of issues to face out, and I can't really see a a a lead in that team. I can't see that somebody that's able to haul um, their players out of out of this rut. Um, it is what it is. Unfortunately, it's um, you know that's what happens when expectations uh, sort of are outstripping resources. Um, I don't see a great play in that team that's worthy of helping to assist with a great escape. Uh, you know, even, even in it, you know, Ferhat is, is good, uh, you know, looked very good in the early stage of the season, just about for a little bit, started on the bench, um, but he comes, he comes from uh, League 2, so the, the, the the gap in quality might be a bit too high. I uh, think is very young, uh, even though he's looked uh, decent. Sarr, Villapoto, mm. Ripa are not, you know, are not key quality players as you've probably seen before. Uh, you know, in the, the likes of Dijon, where Tavares or, or Dioni have, uh, you know, come up with the goods when required. I don't see that happening for Nîmes. Yeah. Uh, they said bottom now, uh, but I mean, again, in the current league table, that's only two or three points from safety. So maybe if they can hang on and, and find some recruits in January. Well, I think they first need to find a uh, 
a director of recruitment uh, that was their problem over the summer <laughs> but um we'll we'll wish them the best they were a fun team uh last yeah. season um definitely brought something to the league uh, i'm going to quickly run through uh the remaining summaries just so we can have some time to talk a little bit about france um on saturday as well was monaco dijon uh another win for monaco and uh their third clean sheet of the season they won one nil with a goal from Alexander Golovin, assisted, of course, by Islam Slibani, who else? Uh, he's very much in charge of uh, that part of play for Monaco. Uh, and then Lille-Mess was a nil-nil, uh, just like the Hans-Angers match. Um, a good point for Mess, considering uh, the week they've gone through, obviously with the car accident of two of their players, uh, Manuel Kabit, who's still in the hospital, um, so they they really played that match for him, um, and and managed to pull off a point away to Lille, uh, which is uh, a, a respectable achievement. In Ligue 2, it was a big win for Lorient, who are now back at the top of the table. Uh, they put four in the first half past a very weak Niort side. Um, final score four one. Ajaccio and Troyes both drew, falling one point behind Les Merlus, and uh, another rare win from Paris FC. One nil away to Orléans with uh, Jeremy Menez obtaining his second assist uh, for his new club. And a first appearance in that match as well for uh, time thief or alleged time thief, should I say, Lamine Diaby Fadiga, uh, who uh, signed for PSG, uh, PFC uh, earlier in the season as well. He completed the suspension, made his first appearance. Um, in, from the women's game, uh, France were playing last over the weekend. Uh, they were. It was a European qualifier against Serbia in Bordeaux. 6-0 win. Pretty routine stuff. Amel Majri with a hat-trick and an assist. Uh, she was obviously the star player. And then the U-17s uh, continue their progress at the World Cup. Uh, they beat, on Wednesday, they beat Australia 4-0 with a hat-trick from Nathaniel Mbuku from Reims. Uh, and he scored again. Earlier tonight, that's on a Monday evening, if you're listening later in the week, uh, he's, France played Spain in the quarterfinal, and uh, the final score was 6-1 from that one. Goals as well from Tanguy Kwasi of PSG, Isaac Liadji uh, from, uh, from Marseille, and uh, Adil Aouchich uh, from, uh, from Paris as well. So, uh, seems to be a promising generation. Some of these guys have played in Ligue 1 already, of course. Yeah. I just um, wanted to point something out, sorry. Yes, sir. Sure, go for <laughs> um, it. The, the goal by Spain was scored by a guy named Valeria Germain. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I thought that was funny. But <laughs> <laughs> <For> he's Spanish. <laughs> On to the international break for the, uh, the senior team. France uh, continues and actually concludes its uh, qualifying campaign for Euro 2020 in the next week. France play on Thursday at home to Moldova and on Sunday away to Albania. Uh, guys, the, the news today, the big news today, uh, it, well, big news in my opinion, uh, was uh, Matteo Genduzzi getting a, a call up for uh, to substitute Blaise Matuidi, who got injured over the weekend. Uh, obviously, he was it was his uh, it's the second call up after the one uh, back in September. Do we think? This means he might get a few minutes, especially against, you know, kind of weak opposition this week. I don't know. Um, it's quite uh, unlike 
uh, Deschamps to to sort of throw players into the deep end. You know, it's like you know Moldova and Albania, isn't it? Mm. Um, you know, but I get the feeling he's still going to try these tested formation, these tested players, who who especially those who've probably been on the bench in recent times. I feel like when players do make uh, injury replacements, they they rarely do make the grade, but it'll be good to see Guendouzi um, play a couple of minutes, especially at least in the second game. Um, mm. Later on, like when when sort of things are winding down in France already in the commanding lead, but given obviously these might be weak opposition, but there's obviously um, something on the line. Uh, you know, France still have uh, the small matter in chasing down uh, Turkey, mm-hmm. I believe. So, I mean, it depends. We will see. But obviously, he's got the quality to still be in the uh, in the squad, which he clearly deserves. Yeah. Well, France are tied on points with Turkey. Uh, Turkey has a lower goal difference, but are first. So I guess it, it comes down to head to head. Yeah. Yeah. So Turkey are playing Iceland, um, and then I think uh, uh, they finish it and well, Andorra. So. Mm. <laughs> It will yeah. be settled on Thursday, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we just have to hope that Turkey messes up and and France needs to win, and it doesn't really matter how much they win by. But maybe if they win, if they get a lot of goals in early, uh, he'll give Gendouzi a chance. We should mention as well that to replace Gendouzi in the U21 squad, uh, Eduardo Camavinga has received his first call-up, having you know very recently been uh, granted French nationality. Uh, so that that's an exciting one to watch as well. And the U21s have a really good squad uh, this season. Uh, they've been a lot of fun. Um, other doubts for Tanguyen Dombele and uh, and Kylian Mbappe, who are both still in the squad. But uh, I know Mbappe didn't play. I think Dombele came off hurt for for Spurs, I believe. Um, so those are they're being watched uh, carefully. And you know, if Dombele can't play, that just increases Gendouzi's uh, chances. So, Moldova, Albania, it should be uh, straightforward. Do we have any uh, contradictions, contradictory predictions? Uh, in particular, Clinton, seeing as you have a, you <laughs> have a, <laughs> claimed <laughs> to have a prophetic prediction rate. da. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I I don't. My head's empty right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not seeing any visions currently. But if I see any visions, I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, I. We should be winning it, uh, and that's really that, isn't it? Uh, yeah. There's. I don't think there's much else to add. Um. Yeah. So we'll be talking about it next week, uh, as always, talking about both games uh, since they both happen between now and our next recording. Uh, so looking forward to talking to you guys about that. Thanks for coming on, Clinton. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thanks, Mo, for your uh, for sharing your uh, Marseille experience with us. I was a, it was a great chat. Yes, thank you. As always, you can get all the latest French football news on Twitter at JeffFN or at getfootballnewsfrance.com. Thank you for listening and uh, we'll talk to you again next week.